What is up to all you beautiful people and welcome to the newly created All Eyes podcast. My name is Robert Donaldson and my co-host today is a colleague of mine at Blackheart Gold Pants and he's honestly a guy that I can't wait to talk Iowa football with um, today and moving forward. So Thad, you know, the floor is yours. Um, talk about who you are, how you feeling and I, I feel like that's something that everybody just kind of does when they are operating a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm Thad Nelson. Um, some of you might know me more from Twitter, at TNels20. Lifelong Hawkeye fan. Uh, family had season tickets. We'd travel uh, three hours each way to go to games. And I got into Iowa from the start, but really where a lot of my social stuff started was when I was uh, at home watching games or following along online. A lot of people were talking about back in the Jake Rudock, CJ Beathard, what do we do? Who do we go with? And they were talking about the Greg Davis scheme. And there were a lot of things thrown out. And I wanted to know, well, what's real, what's not? So during games, I started charting passes, where they were going is where it just started. Very, very basic stuff. Uh, and over the years, it's kind of grown. And uh, I've had great interactions with people. And whether it's just fans or media people, and it's kind of taken off. And then over the last year or so, I've been writing for Blackheart Gold Pants, doing rewatches, going back through film, trying to dive in through the numbers. Uh, my background, I have a degree in mathematics, so I'm really big into the analytics part. Uh, and just try to go back through it and say, well, this is what I thought I saw happen. Can we back that up? And if not, well, what's the in-between? Where's the right? Where's the wrong? And that's where I really started to dig into those things with Hawkeye football, especially. You know, it's so interesting that you brought up the whole C.J. Beathard, Jake Rudock sort of um, debate that took place at one point because I feel like everybody, the whole argument was, uh, you know, Jake Rudock check his, checks it down way too much or he's throwing under five yards or in front of the, um, the line of scrimmage or line to gain. Um, and C.J. Beathard was this kind of unheralded gunslinger, exciting guy who was pushing, you know, traditional Iowa football and just throwing it down the field and he's got the flow going and it just seemed like this isn't Greg Davis football so is the quarterback is it um his offense like what's going on and I feel like you know in retrospect looking back on that it's so fun to sort of you know relook at that but at the time I remember I you know there was the um people getting so upset with Greg Davis going storming the press box you know all this kind of thing just wanted him gone and and you know, it's just really fun to look back on that for sure. Yeah, it was a really interesting time. And I think part of it too was uh, fans were excited when Greg Davis first came on. They were tired. You know, Ken O'Keefe had been there forever. And, you know, there were complaints there. And, oh, we've this new guy from Texas. And uh, here's all the things that they did. And I feel like there were some concepts that were good there, but it just never merged with what Kirk Ferentz wanted. And they never were able to find that nice balance. And, and then it became, well, Rudock is not getting it done or it's okay. But then, like you said, here's CJ Beathard and he's got this hair and this personality and it really gained fans attention and they were really into it. So then it became not just like, I think fans really wanted that to be the case too. So that's where I really want to dive in. Well, is Beathard pushing the ball down the field more and is it working? You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, we're doing it. But is it effective? Is it helping the team score points? Is it uh, keeping the defense out of bad spots? So turns out it was right in all situations. He was 
the more talented player. He did more things for the offense. You know, Greg Davis wasn't the right fit. And it all worked out in the end, but it was interesting to go back through it and say, well, what's really the crux of it all? And, and as a fan, we want somebody that we can latch on to. Yeah, and, you know, Sunshine, C.J. Beathard was sort of the golden boy that I feel like Iowa fans, um, especially after that Tennessee Bowl game, the whole blowout, and even I would say um, the last week of the regular season against Nebraska after, you know, having that lead and then kind of just it falling apart in the second half, I think it was time for just, you know, a new face, some change, some excitement to be sort of injected into the Iowa football program because, you know, it felt like it was almost going a little bit stale, like, all right, you know, something's got to happen. Where's our orange bowl run? You know, where's the share of the big 10 title? Where's our next Stanzi, Marv McNutt, you know, that kind of dynamic. And um, I think CJ Beathard, obviously, you know, next season it happened, you know, we go to the the Rose bowl and um, he's making plays that we just haven't seen at the quarterback position for a long time. And that offense in that year just kind of feels like it's establishing the Hawkeye football lore is sort of like this magical season where Iowa was playing the whole balancing act in the games and it just went their way. Yeah. I mean, you could talk to almost any Iowa fan and I'm not sure there's been big moments, but has anybody yelled louder or cheered more after he hit Tavon Smith for that big pass in the big 10 championship game? I just remember going nuts and everybody around was going nuts and he brought that excitement and they had that great season and a program Coach Friends mentions it all the time. They live in the margins. So that ability to create plays and whether it's a deep pass or whether it's with your feet or just making the right play, you know, the headsy play against Pitt where he scrambles and dives and calls timeout, you know, those sort of things, you can never forget those moments. Yeah. I mean, and I, th- I think like this is probably a good time that we sort of talk about what the theme of the podcast actually is. You know, this isn't just another um, Iowa sports kind of podcast. You know, uh, the theme of this podcast is going to be about Iowa football, um, point blank. And, you know, we might venture off into the lands of sort of the NFL at times or even other college football happenings from time to time. And honestly, maybe even some Iowa basketball, because I feel like, you know, we both are probably thinking this is going to be a pretty fun season to talk about at least. And, um, you know, if you aren't familiar with our work on Black Heart Gold Pants, um, you know, I won't speak for Thad. He's kind of already talked about it, but I think we both have sort of a mutual desire um, as it pertains to talking about, you know, breaking down film or analytics or X's and O's and sort of that perspective on um, Iowa football and football in general. And I feel like that's something this podcast can really bring to the table for everybody that's listening to it. Yeah, the goal, I think, is to to take what we see and really break down what exactly happened. And there's so many moving parts in a football game, each play, you know, time, score, yardage, all of that. How does each movement by one person affect the other? And you, know, you don't know that until you get back through it. So hopefully we're able to bring that in, uh, share a little bit of that and help break it down and also say, well, what happened and, and where can this go? Yeah, um, I think that that's the beautiful thing about football. You know, it's kind of like sort of a battle for real estate, not to be corny about it, but it's like, how do I move, you know, this unit of 11 against this other unit of 11 and get yards out of it and get ground? And um, there's so many working components and you need all of them to be clicking. Um, 
you know, maybe, you know, 11 on a given play, maybe 10 on a given play, but you need that component working and need to be executing. And each, each team and each coaching staff sort of has a different mentality and a different approach to how they're going to get that done. Yeah. With Iowa, it really, that comes full into play. You have to have everybody executing their role, everybody's movement, especially within Iowa's offense and really in defense, they have to work together. And if they don't work together, the plan just isn't going to fall the way it should. Yeah. And so I guess we should jump right into it. You know, we've got Iowa football this weekend for the first time all season. It's, you know, an exciting time. Um, but, uh, you know, we're on the road against Purdue and it's been announced that Jeff Brom already is out with COVID. So great start to the season for a Purdue's football program. And for whatever it's worth, you know, the sports betting is now legal in Iowa and, um, the sports book out here has the Hawks at minus three and a half. So, you know, what are sort of your initial thoughts when you look at this matchup against Purdue and, you know, obviously they've got some exciting pieces to work with, but there's also a lot of dysfunction um, even before, you know, this Jeff Brom news came out. My first thought, my gut instinct is always is worry. What's, what's going to go wrong. I think that's the coach in me. I've been coaching basketball. Uh, This will be my 13th season. And, from the coach's standpoint, you're always looking at well, what could go wrong, you know, and how do we anticipate that and how do we fix it? And then I start digging into some things and there's some things I really like. I think Iowa has some, some advantages and some big advantages at certain spots. Uh, and when you look at playing against Purdue the last few years, uh, they've been close games and they've come down to one or two big plays. You feel like Iowa's doing all the right things. And then, one receiver goes crazy. You know, last year, David Bell, right the year before it, and they just somebody always finds that spot. And Coach Brom has been fantastic at finding where he can take advantage of Iowa's defense. So without him in there, that's going to really change the outlook of how their offense works. You know, they get this big high of bringing Rondale Moore back, and now all of a sudden there's uncertainty again. So it's going to be really interesting that chess match of a first time play caller going against somebody like Phil Parker, who's been doing this forever. And, and how do those pieces work? If, especially if you don't know exactly what that guy's tendencies are. Yeah. You know, and I think you nailed it. Like Purdue's that team, especially against Iowa that I just feel like lingers around, like they're not doing anything for half the game. And then, they just look at the score and it's like, Oh, it's, it's a one possession game. Like they're right there. One bad play by the offense or one three and out. And this game could flip on a dime. And um, when you look at last season, um, obviously they didn't have Rondell Moore. Um, they didn't have uh, the QB that started the season for him, Elijah Sindelar, who I think was better than, you know, his predecessors that followed. And they had quite a few last season. Um, with that said, that offense with Jeff Brom, it just felt like, you could stick anyone under center and they were just almost like a robot where they made one progression. It wasn't there. They panicked and tried to make, you know, they dumped it down or they tried to run up the middle or make something happen. It just kind of felt like, you know, that offense was sort of on autopilot. And I, you look at the, you know, you've obviously you met or um, talked about a receiver that kind of went off last year, David Bell. I mean, 13 catches for 200 yards and a touchdown that kind of feels like what happens every time we play Purdue. There's always some guy that just kind of, you know, takes over the game, especially in the passing game. They have a 
potent offense and they've done a really nice job of of isolating players and whether it's attacking uh, zone and like you said kind of one read check down take what the Iowa defense is going to get give them but then all of a sudden it's a big strike it's it's a deep pass down the sideline it's uh, you know two routes over the middle and the safety stepping up on the tight end and Bell's able to get deep inside the corner and pass the safety for a big play and it's hitting those right notes at the right time and that's what they've been so good at and in the past sometimes you know they have a quarterback who is mobile uh, mobile enough to maybe avoid sacks and extend a play and whether that's hitting a check down which you know this year somebody like Rondale Moore a check down can go from a one two yard play into 60 yards and a score so that's where they've been so effective and and as you said, they just kind of hang around. They don't shoot themselves in the foot. They've really struggled to run the ball. And even against Iowa, they haven't ran it really well. But they've still found ways to score points and be effective on offense and, and contain the ball and give their defense a, a rest. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we don't really need to uh, give some deep analysis on Rondell Moore because, I mean, I feel like the whole world knows that dude now, you know, and, and, I didn't think that he was going to be a factor in this game, but all of a sudden, you know, he opts back into the season. Um, and now you have a legit, you know, first round talent and a guy who really reminds you of like a person, Percy Harvin sort of type where he can line up anywhere. You get him the ball. He can make plays after the catch. Once he catches it, he's not just like a quick and move kind of guy. He can run through you. You know, he's got like that kind of compact frame and that muscular frame that, kind of pre prevents like a presents a problem if you have a smaller corner lined up on him and you know and I when I think of smaller corners I think of somebody like Matt Hankins and or you know any of the Iowa corners honestly to be honest with you just because it's just a unique style of receiver almost like you're trying to tackle a tight end in a receiver's body um, and then when you look at that offense like it, it's so timing based that you know when you watch Iowa in the past, they've really just been stuck to their zone. You know, they want to, um, they don't want to change what they're doing. They want to kind of dictate things on defense and they think that their guys are sort of, you know, better than what they're going up against. But after a while, and you're seeing that, you know, the efficiency of the quarterback position, say through the first half, you've got to do something to disrupt, you know, the timing that they're sort of, you know, putting on you, you know, you got to, and I don't think it's anything about like pass rush or blitzing. I, I feel like the defensive line gets home quick enough more often than not, but it's just a matter of, you know, changing looks on defense from post snap or pre-snap to post snap and sort of just mixing in maybe some match quarters coverage or even some man coverage and, you know, just letting your guys actually go out there and win and not be reliant on, you know, back end safety play. Yeah. Late in the game last year, uh, you saw Coach Parker all of a sudden switched up and go to a little man, and he started moving O.J. Moody around and try to follow Bell. But at that point, you don't want to say it's too late, but they're already they're back in the game. You know, the quarterback and the receiver have found kind of that connection, and they're feeling good about they can win against everyone. And now you know, okay, now he's tracking him. I know it's man, or I know it's this. It's making one less read for a quarterback who was a young quarterback last year. And the less he has to process, the easier it's going to be for him to make, not just make a decision, but make the right decision. So I, like you said, mixing some of that in and keeping uh, 
their quarterback, their offensive coordinator, even the receivers off balance. So they don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, each play is going to be really important when you face an offense like this. Oh yeah. I mean, and you just mentioned it, you know, halftime adjustments are part of the game, like no question. Um, and you, good coaches are going to make good halftime adjustments and uh, keep a team in the game or, you know, expand on a lead or anything like that. But at some point you just got to say, you know, if we're wasting a half, um, you know, the team's taking the other team's taking advantage of that wasted half. And there's, that's part of why teams linger around against Iowa or seemingly linger around against Iowa. And that's also why, you know, in the past there's Iowa, Iowa themselves have been able to pull upsets, you know, they just linger. And then all of a sudden one play, two plays, a three and out, all of a sudden the game is, you know, turned on its head and those kind of things definitely add up. Well, when you mentioned, you know, Rondell Moore's ability to change a game, but it can happen in special teams too. He's an electric return player as well. So he can change the game with a punt return or a kick return, or even if you're trying to kick away from him, now the ball goes out of bounds or you, you have a 25 yard punt because you're scared of the return. And that totally can flip the game as well. Just one guy um, making a play or, or just being a threat of making a play. Yeah, and if you don't believe in special teams making an impact, you know, talk to Iowa State fans. <laughs> That's been it's been a rough one this year for them. I mean, it just feels like every other week when they're they're, they're having some kind of issues, it's not the offense, it's not the defense, it's the special teams doing something. And obviously, you know, last year in Iowa's matchup with them, <laughs> the, the collision at the end of the game sort of was the deciding factor. And I think you know Iowa fans are gonna you know, never let Iowa State fans live that down. That, that was just too comical to, you know, <laughs> give up on. Throw on top of that, they, in fact, they don't have a dedicated special teams coordinator. And it just makes Iowa fans who, you know, special teams has been such a staple of the Kirk Ferentz era, really soak that one in as well. Punning is winning, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, we, but also, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of, you know, Purdue's offense. And I mean, I feel like that's, you know, a given. And I feel like we have sort of a mutual outlook when we talk about analysis too, where it's, we talk about the things that are concerning first, you know, like we sort of dive in or hone in on the things that, you know, what is the other team going to do that is going to, you know, challenge Iowa. And when you look at Iowa's defense this year, you can't ignore how much roster turnover they've had, you know, at key positions. You know, we've had um, Michael Ujimudia leave the program um, as a fourth-round draft pick or third-round draft pick. I'm mixing up those two rounds probably. Um, also, A.J. Epinesa is the big one. Um, but you guys got, you got guys like Brady Reef and Cedric Lattimore and, you know, Damone Colbert just opted out of the season. Christian Welch is gone. Um, we just learned recently that, uh, Jack Campbell is not going to be playing in week one. And so that leaves that linebacking core just, you know, also, also Dylan Doyle forgot to even mention him. You know, he's not with the program anymore either. So it, that linebacking core just looks so thin in comparison to the last year's roster and last year's roster. I think that there was a lot of ineffectiveness at linebacker, even to begin with. It's going to really put a lot of strain on, on the defense and, you know, some people would say, and, and I might agree, well, it's good it's against Purdue. It's a team you might play a lot of cash or you might play some nickel or dime or do some different things. 
But at the same time, one thing that Iowa's defense has been effective is really controlling Purdue's running attack. And yeah, they've been able to make some pass plays, but that's about all they've been able to do. Well, now all of a sudden you've got losses on the defensive line. You've got missing linebackers, or maybe you're playing more defensive backs. So those rush lanes do open up. The gaps do start to appear. And now all of a sudden, if that offense has two-way goes with run and pass, now it really puts a lot of new players and even the experienced players in a lot of issues of where do my where are my eyes? Do I trust them? Especially first game of the year. Um, you haven't had a normal camp, all of those sort of things. And I think that's part of why, you know, think NFL, we saw this huge scoring explosion early is there was rust and defensively guys were not able to make those reads and make those proper adjustments early on in the season. Yeah. And when you talk about defense as just like a concept, you know, they're reacting to what the offense is dictating. Like that's just the nature of, you know, that side of the ball. And so that makes them sort of at a, puts them at sort of a disadvantage with the rust aspect, you know, on offense, you can, you know, warm up and sling it down the field and um, sort of get a quarter to, you know, shake that rust off with defense immediately you're thrown in the fire it's like teams can score on the first play or the second play or on the first drive you got to be able to go and you know if if your offense and for example with Iowa's offense at times last year they they were putting up 12 points a game or three points through three quarters the defense is going to need to sort of carry their weight um, especially so if the offense is going to be that kind of you know, level of an apt in certain games. Um, I remember obviously the Michigan game was the big one where uh, I can't remember the final score. I think it was, you know, 10, seven, or what, what was the final score of that Michigan? Yeah. 12, seven or three. It was, that's one you tried to just push out of the memory. Cause it was just miserable on that side of side of the ball. Oh, it, it's, it's up there with the, you know, the Wisconsin game from 2017. And I just, when that happens, well, one, you're not going to win, you know, nine out of 10 of those games, more often like 10 out of 10 of those games. That's just kind of an, a level of ineptness that um, is sort of insurmountable. But uh, as you look at this Iowa offense, um, you know, there's a new quarterback at the helm and everybody's sort of excited about him. He might be the new golden boy. Um, granted, I think that a lot of people overlook sort of the tenure that Nate Stanley had at quarterback. You know, he, had a lot of success and I think people just got tired of the lack of excitement or um, the lack of explosive plays coming out of the quarterback position. And he's not a really a guy that outside of the structures, we're going to be very effective a whole lot of time, but um, he still had his moments. You know, you look at the Ohio state game when there's a guy tied to his legs and he's throwing the ball to the back of the end zone. And um, you know, there's obviously a lot of great moments from that Nate Stanley run, but you know, what are your thoughts on sort of, the Spencer Petras hype um, because I feel like it's almost taken on a life of its own. You know, he's sort of becoming a, a figure already in Iowa football lore. Yeah. I cautiously optimistic, but I think as the season's been pushed back and there's just so much anticipation to get football going, like it's just gone through the roof, especially the last few weeks he's been, you know, featured on different things with through Iowa's social media, you know, and earlier we talked about the, Jake Rudock, CJ Beathard thing. This, in my opinion, is very, very similar in the sense of Stanley was a good quarterback, and especially within those walls, people loved him. 
tough dude, never missed, you know, didn't miss games, would get hit and pop up, would bash his hand on a helmet, stay in there. I mean, just, you know, your ultimate team quarterback, those quarterback sneaks that are now legendary, but you never heard from him. You know, he was very reserved, you know, wasn't going to be a rah-rah guy and that's fine. But from the fans perspective, after three years of that, you know, you kind of like, okay, that was nice, but I'm ready for some excitement. So in walks, you know, a, a pretty highly touted recruit, a guy that sat behind him for a year that the coaches have been saying a lot of positive things. You know, you always try to read the, read the tea leaves with the words, but to say things like, well, he's done everything except for make, make the plays in the game or, or last winter in bull prep, uh, they said, well, he's looking like a Big Ten quarterback. And for the coaches to say that about somebody who mostly hasn't really played in any meaningful snaps says a lot. And I think uh, he's a guy that players will rally around, especially a year like this when weapons are there. You know, you have personality and you have weapons at the receiver position. You have a, a blossoming star at tight end. You have some line pieces that look pretty good. You have two returning players who have played a ton you know, out wide now, even though Coy Cronk's a new player, he's got 40 Big Ten starts at left tackle, you know, in the East Division. So every year he's going against top-notch edge rushers. So you have some excitement, and now all of a sudden there's this new guy back there. Uh, so you hope it works out. I'm excited. The pieces are there. You know there's going to be some, some bumps in the road with a first-year player, but I really think the pieces are there. And I think he's the right guy for this type of offense this year. Yeah. And, and you talked about sort of the, the coach's excitement about him. I think it was Ken O'Keefe who came out and said, you know, he has one of the best arms I've ever seen. So he's, you're talking about a guy who has had stints in college, stints in the NFL. And he's talking about Spencer Petrus as a guy who has one of the best arms he's ever seen. So, you know, that's definitely, that's definitely one way to get the ball rolling in the Iowa football fan community, for sure. Um, especially also, I saw today, um, right before this podcast, actually, um, on Twitter, Iowa football's Twitter posted something about Spencer Petrus where they had sort of him hooked up with a mic in practice, throwing a touchdown pass, and then they followed up that video with him playing a guitar and singing country. So, I mean, if you're talking about a guy who's going to get the Iowa football fans excited, the Cali boy who's playing country and, you know, mic'd up and sort of leading the new age charge of this kind of, you know, dynamic looking um, offense that at least on paper, it looks like. And I feel like, you know, that's where a lot of this, optimism is coming from or at least excitement you know maybe it's not even what they think might happen they're just thinking you know this this guy could be awesome well excitement i think is rightful and i think fans should be excited about that you look last time there was a new quarterback when nate stanley took over and there was nothing for weapons especially out wide you know brandon smith and amir came in and did what they could but they were freshmen and not ready for that. And they were forced in the position and, you know, that's not their fault that they were put in that position and weren't able to perform as well as some other players that they've had, but they shouldn't have been expected to. And now you have those guys that are seasoned and you have guys on the inside. You talked about that video clip, Peaches throwing to Charlie Moore out of nowhere. 
So, you know, all of a sudden now he's this uh, internet sensation about talk from, from different things. So the weapons are there. I think the line play should be pretty good. Um, we haven't even talked about Tyler Goodson, who was, you know, ended the season on such a high note and is really a dynamic running back. And there's guys behind him. I mean, the pieces are there. I think Petrus said in an interview, my job is essentially don't screw it up. But as part of that, I also think he's the right guy to take some shots. You talked about his arm talent, you know, and he's a big guy. He's 6'5". You know, he's a big-bodied guy, so he can sling it and maybe take some of those deep shots that, that should be there uh, as the defense has to pick one option. You can, you can stop one thing. You can slow down maybe one other. But you can't stop and slow down three different things at once. It just doesn't work defensively. Right. And I mean, I feel like there's so many individuals who are so talented on this Iowa offense that if this Iowa offense isn't one of the best we've seen in the past decade, I think something's wrong. Um, you know, point blank. They have so many different dynamics at receiver. I mean, you look at, I'm, and I'm counting Sam LaPorter in that as well as a guy who can definitely do some things after the catch. You know, he's a physical guy. He's quick. Um, he's explosive. Um, you know, he could definitely improve in the run blocking just to sort of get on the field a little bit more. Um, him and Sean Byer are definitely going to see some split snaps with that. But um, look at Tyrone Tracy, guy who's going to be great after the catch. Um, he's just a guy that if the ball's thrown too outside of his frame, he's going to have some of those drop issues. You know, he's not a lengthy guy, but that's where Brandon Smith comes in. You know, you have, you have a my ball guy with Brandon Smith who just kind of mosses dudes anytime he – you know, has the opportunity to, um, he uses his frame so well. And then you have guy who a lot of people don't, I don't think realize was so productive last year in Nico Reganey. Um, you know, he was sort of not, <laughs> they schemed him a lot as a first progression option last season and it showed, and he was taking punishment over the middle and making catch, tough catches. And then you just talked about Charlie Moore. Uh, this, this offense is so loaded and Tyler Goodson's another guy that if you can get him involved in the passing game, you know, you talk about sort of what Akram Wadley was able to do on the football field. I think, you know, Tyler Goodson could do the exact same thing and sort of, you know, make people miss and jump steps and, uh, you know, break the ankles as people like to say, just like, and be super exciting and a guy who can turn, you know, a third and 10 and a dump off on third and 10 into somehow getting a first down. And as you said, too, all those different names, but the pieces fit so well together. You know, you have the prototypical X in Brandon Smith out wide. You know, the hands ability, as you said, to Moss guys. You have Amir, who has legit NFL speed. Yeah, I better uh, – we might yeah. have to do a pause quick as you hear yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. All right, no problem, man. <laughs> I'm coming, Emmy. Just wait. As we take this brief intermission. <laughs> Eight hours later. All right. <laughs> so for those wondering, you know, Thad's on dad duty today. So uh, we had to take a little bit of an intermission. <laughs> yeah, a, a two, almost three-year-old's life does not, not wait for podcasting. That's for sure. No, I, for sure it does not. <laughs> and I think we were talking sort of about how Iowa's football pieces just kind of on offense in particular, just kind of, you know, mesh well together. 
Yeah, we talked about Brandon Smith out wide, Amir's speed, and he's also become a reliable receiver. I mean, he has some highlight real catches um, in his film that have been really impressive and pressure catches, you know, one at Iowa State, you know, comes to mind right away, but he's had some other ones, you know, down the sidelines as well. And, you know, you mentioned Tracy, his ability after the play, he's sort of like, you know, that running back at receiver uh, that can make, make plays once he's got the ball. And, you know, then Regani's kind of this unsung guy, but his route running is spectacular. And you mentioned they went to him third downs, fourth downs on uh, different pivot routes or different routes looking to get him one-on-one. And that speaks a lot to what the coaches look for. And, you know, when we mentioned tight ends, I'm really hopeful somebody like Sean Byer can have a big season because I think back to the pinstripe bowl game and they were uh, a goal line situation. And the first play down there, they ran a design for him one-on-one. And that says the coaches trust him, think he can win in those situations. So, he's a guy that's battled a lot of injuries and I think you just hope that he's one of those special senior stories that that show up occasionally yeah and you know with him he's sort of like a guy who has always seemed when you watch him on film just kind of like a thinner tight end and you gotta wonder you know is that because of the injury setbacks that you know force him to stay out of the weight room and you know he's going through rehabilitation rather than putting on weight or um, putting on muscle and yeah if he can be a guy that can be another addition to this offense. I mean, you talk about, you know, being rich with weapons. That's what Iowa football already is. So any addition to that is just going to be, you know, an, a luxury kind of thing. And as you look at sort of, you know, Iowa's offense, and we don't really know how it's going to be with, with Petrus under the helm, but how do you kind of envision it playing out against this sort of uh, Purdue defense who last year, you know, got gashed in the passing game and struggled against the run and struggled in all the major categories, but have some guys who are definitely going to be playing pro ball in the future somewhere. And also some guys who are going, you know, talented college players as well. They have some really intriguing players. When you look at individual spots, the question is, can you find that weakness? And that's something Iowa's done in the past. They've thrown the ball all over against them the last couple of years. You know, last year, Stanley, you know, great numbers, 23 of 33, 260. The year before, 21 of 32, 275. But in those two years, only one touchdown pass. And the run game has been effective. They've had five rushing touchdowns just from the running backs over those two years. But they're not gashing them for any big plays so to produce credit they've kind of said okay Iowa we're going to make you into a passing team and see if you can make the plays and you know last year receiving core is pretty good you know you still had Regani and Tracy were younger guys especially early in the season still splitting time but you think this year they've got to capitalize and not just make those empty yards you know if Petrus comes out and he's got 250, 260, great, but they've got to be able to turn those plays into touchdowns because you're not going to beat Purdue by kicking five field goals. Right. And, um, you know, there's a guy that I can't believe we haven't even talked about for Iowa's offense and Amir Smith-Marset. You talk about a guy who can really just, you know, break a game open at any point, you know, that's it. And when you look at Purdue, especially looking back at that Penn state game last year, where they took an absolute beating almost right out of the gate. 
they just their back end just seemed like it was so vulnerable to everything. You know, guys were running down the seams and just at will. Um, they were they ran a lot of zone. Um, and when they tried to run man, it just felt like they didn't have the guys or the bodies to sort of, you know, run with those receivers. I think Iowa might have the best receiving core in the Big Ten, or at least it's definitely up there. And there wasn't a whole lot of roster turnover for Purdue um, in the ba- on the back end. You know, they brought in um, uh, a grad transfer from UConn, I believe, uh, Tyler Coyle. I, I don't know anything about him. I haven't watched him play at all. But outside of that, you know, they've already made some changes to um, their defensive coordinator too. So Mike Holt, who uh, has been there since, I believe, 2017 when Braun was first hired, you know, he's gone. They brought, they brought in uh, Bob Diaco, <laughs> who Iowa fans obviously know as a former Iowa alum and also a guy who spent time with uh, Nebraska's defensive coordinator for one year before getting the bump there. And um, he was recently at La Tech as a defensive coordinator for one year. Um, I think the most infamous thing that he's done is uh, the civil conflict trophy that he tried to start with Connecticut and uh, UCF, right? Um, it was, he'd made up this trophy, and then in year one, they took an absolute beating to UCF, and they, UCF didn't care enough to even storm the other side of the field to get it. So it's just kind of a funny dynamic there. We'll see how you know that goes. But I think the biggest thing with that hire is traditionally Bob Yako sort of been a, a base three, four kind of guy. And in years past, we've sort of seen Purdue run, um, you know, four down linemen um, and sort of have two DNs who are pass rushers. And now it's going to be kind of, you know, interesting how they move those kind of similar pieces around to sort of make it fit now in a three, four defense. Yeah. And his most recent interview, it sounded like they're at least planning to start mostly four, three, but they want to play a little bit of both. Now the question becomes, you know, how are players handling responsibility changes in those two? It's not, you know, it's, it's not a video game where you just call a different defense and everybody, I've got it. There are totally different responsibilities. There are different gaps. There are different coverage responsibilities. So can they shore that up on the, on the line? And you talked about the back end has been just a sieve for them lately. So they have to get that cleaned up. But against Iowa, if you don't, if you can't at least tie at the, at the line of scrimmage, you're not going to win. And especially this year uh, when Iowa has weapons that they don't have to run the ball all the time, they can find ways to, to either hit you deep or even just swing the ball out quick to their receivers and make plays that way. So they have a lot of things that they need to clean up. Uh, Petrus said he's watched film of, of law tech watched film of when he was at Nebraska, which that would have been a fun film to watch. I think Iowa ran for over 300 yards that day. And, you know, you try to get a feel for personnel from a previous, but try to play in the new scheme. And, and of course, a new coordinator in a year like this, we don't know how much time they've had together on the field. Obviously, you can do a lot of film things, you know, virtually, but you have to practice it. That's the only way you get better. So it's going to be interesting to see, can they make that transition, especially early in the year, and how do those new parts work? But as you mentioned, they've got some guys. Neil is back. You know, it's always good to see a 300-pounder wearing a single digit. So I always enjoy that. And he's a really good player on the inside. And I think 
Karloftis outside is as good of a, a 4-3 D end as there is in the conference. And he had seven and a half sacks as a true freshman last year. And he is a, a special talent out there. So they've got some guys that can maybe make plays, but do they have it collectively? And can they avoid the mental mistakes that seem to plague them last year a lot? Yeah, you know, you mentioned single-digit uh, big guys. They have two. They have uh, <laughs> Anthony Watts, who um, last year was a defensive tackle for him and really showed out as being a, an impactful guy, definitely strong and definitely kind of, you know, has an explosiveness to him. He wears number eight. And then you have Lorenzo Neal, you know, 325 pounds, definitely a guy who could have declared for the NFL draft last year, decided to come back to Purdue for his, I believe he is on a medical redshirt now uh, for his senior season, um, a sixth year of eligibility or fifth year at least. Um, and he's wearing number nine. And he's sort of a guy that I think kind of in this 3-4, that, or at least there are 3-4 looks that they could possibly run, is a guy who can slot in at nose tackle. Um, I feel like that's just a given. You look at his frame and he can pull it off and he plays like that too. But the guy that's sort of the golden boy for that Purdue defense is defensive end George Karloftis, who as a true freshman last year had seven and a half sacks, you know, 17 tackles for loss. So it's just, he went berserk. I mean, it, it's like, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, what would have happened if AJ Epinesa was their starting, you know, the base D end in his true freshman season, because Carl Loftus looked like he was already in his peak college form. And, you know, now he's going into year two and it feels like this switch, if they are going to run a lot of three, four, or at least 50, 50, it, you know, you're taking away his best kind of strength of just sort of pinning his ears back and being able to shoot and, you know, get after the passer and get into the backfield. That's, that's the thing. And I think why there is a flux there because he's your best player on that side. He's also your probably their biggest playmaker, you know, his ability to get after the quarterback. So you don't want to take away what he does by switching your scheme just because, well, that's what I do. And if you want to be a good coach, a good coordinator, you have to fit those pieces. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. And for Iowa, you know, if he's lined up against Alaric Jackson, you hope you have 2018 Alaric, you know, healthy. Last year he struggled, but he had injury issues. And I, that is definitely a huge thing, especially at left tackle when you do have to move and you are one-on-one -on -one with guys. But Iowa is going to put their linemen and say, you've got to win some one-on-ones. So Iowa's going to have to find a way to contain him. And if they can't, that really is going to change what they want to do because you can't take those deep shots. You can't have those developing routes, those crossing routes and let Amir and Tyrone win going across the middle and just outrunning guys or getting guys in switches. So that's going to be a big thing. What does Iowa do early with that? And what does Purdue do with him? Do they stay base four three? Do they move him around? Um, and that's going to be a chess match between the two the offense and defense in that situation. Yeah. And when you look at sort of what the um, at least projected depth chart is for Iowa on the offensive line, you know, th there's definitely going to be some uh, newer pieces based from at least last year's look, you know, there's no more Tristan Wirfs. Um, Tyler Linderbaum still at center. Yeah. Larry Jackson, the left tackle still, but at left guard, there's going to be a change. And I believe right guards pretty much locked down by Kyler shot, but at right tackle, 
you know, that means that Mark Allenberg is out of the mix. You know, there's obviously no more Landon Paulson. So it's just kind of, you know, what are we going to see from um, Iowa's offensive line? You know, is what are your sort of projections for right tackle and um, left guard, I guess? I expect it right tackle to see grad transfer Koi Kronk. Again, he's from Indiana. Uh, had a season-ending injury last year, an ankle injury earlier in the year and was granted an extra year. Uh, decided to leave and go to Iowa. Said he had a lot of calls from places, but with Iowa's rec- track record at lineman, he felt like it was a good fit. And at left guard, I think they'll probably start with uh, Banwart, who's back from an injury. He missed most of last year. I think last year they're probably going to start him at right guard early on. And he might've even started and played early, but had injury issues, wasn't able to play through it. I really like his film and his frame. You know, he's, I think six, four, six, five in that two ninety five range has a really good body. When you watch the 2018 film against Purdue, he played really well, but I also think we're going to see rotations. You mentioned Kallenberger. I think he figures in at guard uh, Britt and Cody Ince to uh, freshmen, well, I should say Britt is a redshirt freshman. Ince will be a redshirt sophomore, I believe. And I think you'll see some of those guys rotate, but I do think they feel confident in Banwart and Shaw at guard, guys that have played a fair amount. And those two have a little nasty to them, and they're going to need that because the interior is really important in Iowa's zone run scheme. You know, tackles get a lot of the talk and they are important, but they're really important pass pro, you know, in the run scheme, you have to be able to hit those reaches and you have to cut off backside and to have two guards that you can trust is going to be really important because in the center, I mean, Linderbaum last year was just an animal and you expect him with only, you know, switching from defense and immediately being like, you're our guy at center you expect him to have some nice growth as well. And if Iowa can find, even if it's four, five guys, if they do rotate, but I think it'll probably end up long-term, maybe four guys uh, to solidify those spots in the middle, then you can really start to uh, see those constant gains in the run game and also open up those cutbacks and somebody like Goodson who can hit those and hit those for big plays uh, really could change Iowa's offense, not just from a, from a schematics, but just from an execution in the middle. Yeah. And when you look at sort of the guys that were, um, I guess, effective last season, obviously Tristan works, but you know, the guys that are still on the team, you know, you're, you're happy with the lyric Jackson left tackle. I don't think that, you know, he, is he the best left tackle in all of college football? Probably not, but he's way above average as far as big 10 tackles go. Um, and tackles are going to be hard to find regardless. So that's a good spot. You also look at Tyler Lindebaum, like you said, you know, I imagine he's probably putting on some weight this off season and um, you know, hopefully that helps with some of the point of attack issues they face. But as far as just, you know, being in the right position, executing really tough assignments on the offensive line last season, he was as good as it comes. Um, Kyler shot, you know, not a guy that um, heading into the year, I, I was really expecting a whole lot from, I thought even maybe he would be sort of on the back burner to guys like Allenberger, but I, he really showed out. He was executing everything that, you know, the coaches asked him to do. And he wasn't really the guy that when something went wrong, you sort of point your finger like, Oh, well, it came from over there. I don't know what happened, but 
you know, it seemed like that side of the offensive line with him and Tristan Wirfs and then Tyler Linderbaum to his left just sort of never really was the issue. Um, at left guard, though, <laughs> that there was a lot of, you know, a lot of different pieces that saw spot or saw playing time in that spot. And it just seemed like it never got resolved. And so a lot of the issues seemingly came from that left tackle, left guard spot, because, you know, like you said, with Iowa's offensive line and their scheme, they work in tandem over there. So if it's, if one guy is sort of a liability or not doing what he's necessarily supposed to do, even in pass pro, um, you're going to see leaks and you're going to see, you know, Nate Stanley or Spencer Petrus or whoever just sort of getting blown up immediately with guys untouched coming off the defensive line. And you did. Um, obviously there were some injuries with Kyler shot last year too, which led to some leaks, but that left guard spot, if they can get it figured out, I mean, even without Tristan Wirfs, this offensive line has a chance to really even be improved um, compared to last season. Agree. And, and what was frustrating, I think last year was it wasn't just physical execution issues. There were mental issues as well. They got, you said, just free runners. Oh, geez. <laughs> Hopefully this is the last time I'll go get her dressed real quick and I'll be right back. I'm sorry. Six hours later. Whew. Take, take number three. Here we go. All right. So we were talking, I was offensive line. Um, I'll let you take it away. <laughs> We're talking about left guard, and they had issues with, you know, physical issues. They were getting beat, but they had so many communication issues with free runners, and it it was, you know, guard tackle was everybody just not on the right page. And those are the things if you can get those cleaned up, which having some experience, you know, if if it's Banwer or even if it's uh, somebody like Ince coming in who, who when they put in last year has nice athletic ability for a big guy, they they would go to the receiver and running back screen game a lot when he came in and get him and Linderbaum outside. So if you can fill in some of those things and fix the communication, the physical part, I think they'll win enough. You know, I, I think whoever's in there will win that one-on-one enough as long as they're getting the assignments. Yeah. And obviously they're not going to be able to do certain things without Tristan Wirfs. I mean, that guy is just kind of, a different type of mover um, out there. You know, he's a guy that you can run down the field and he'll be leading the running backs way. And you can trust him to make really tough sort of combo blocks to the second level that other guys that would be, you know, not even in their realm of possibilities. But when you look at sort of the core of this offensive line and the even expendable or the not expendable, but the guys who are sort of filling in behind what we perceive to be the core and Mark Kallenberger and possibly Cody Entz or Cole Banwart or whoever ends up being, you know, those are guys with playing experience and guys who have certain things about them that, you know, are, you can get excited about, you know, there, it wasn't that too long ago when Mark Kallenberger was sort of the, you know, the next, you know, heir to um, starting tackle. And I I still want to believe that, he can get it figured out because I mean, he's definitely an athletic kind of Marvel player and he definitely looks the part of um, a prototypical big 10 tackle and, and even professional NFL tackle at times. 
but it's just those communication issues that really were way too prevalent um, last season when you uh, look at a guy like Mark Kallenberger, for sure. You said if I think he figures in with the rotation early on, and as that goes, if he can fix those, then he's got a shot because you said the measurables are there. The athletic ability is there. He's made plays. Uh, there have been moments where he shines. It just has been too infrequent. And especially for Iowa on the offensive line, they need that frequency of they can trust it getting done. And on the other side of it, you know, do they go to some of that perimeter run game with the receivers that they did against USC? Because that takes some pressure then off those linemen to win every time. We've talked about Iowa's offense. Uh, we've talked about their weapons. We've talked about um, the offensive line. We've talked about Spencer Petras. Um, we've also talked about sort of the uh, attrition that their Iowa's going to be facing at linebacker. And, you know, they're down a playmaker in A.J. Epinesa from last season. You know, they're dinged up a little bit in the secondary with Michael Ujamudia gone and D.J. Johnson transferring to Purdue, but he's not going to be playing, obviously, this Saturday. Um, so I guess that just kind of leaves – I'm going to put you on the spot, you know, prediction time. You know, is minus three and a half a, a good bet for Iowa fans? Like, what kind of game should we expect and, you know, who comes out on top? Yeah, I've been going back and forth on this one. I, I, I'm ending up with, I do think Iowa is able to win and cover that. I just think Purdue has too many question marks on defense right now. And while Iowa does have some question marks defensively, um, you know, Phil Parker, I trust him. You know, I trust him to find those guys to fit. And they do have some players that kind of like an offensive line who maybe didn't start, but have played a fair number of snaps and guys you've, saw had some success. So I do think uh, Iowa does get the win. I'm going to say, uh, I think they're scoring on both sides. I think some big plays hit, but I think Iowa does end up uh, with the cover. I could see them. I think it's going to be, you know, uh, a seven, eight point win is kind of where I'm, where I'm seeing it right now. But I think, you know, both teams are going to be, I think over under uh, I'd be looking I. I think it's probably going to fall somewhere in that 58 to 60 range. I, I think there's going to be points. Um, if nothing else, you have two offensive units that have some playmakers, two defenses with some question marks. And again, I go back to the start of the NFL season. We just saw a lot of offense. Defenses weren't quite there yet. So that's kind of where I'm leaning. Um, and I think, I think the guy we didn't mention a lot, but Amir, I think he's the guy that, that really stands out on special teams as a kick returner and within the offense. I think, uh, I think Brian Ferentz finds a way to utilize him on some motions and uh, down the field and crossing routes. And I think he's the guy that I could see having one of those five, six catches for a buck 10 and a touchdown or two, and then a big play in special teams as well. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think you said it there's, I feels, it feels like Iowa football is definitely the more complete team in this matchup. I mean, you know, you look over at Purdue and it just feels like a lot is happening. They're breaking in a new defensive coordinator who might be switching up, you know, things as far as, you know, total scheme wise things on that side of the ball. And you're moving guys around, um, you know, they have, I believe, I believe his name is Derek Brooks, is now playing at middle linebacker for them instead of the end. So that's one of the switches that Bob Diaco's already made. 
And then you obviously don't know how George Karloftis sort of fits in this new kind of scheme. So they're breaking in that. But on top of that, they're down one of the best play callers in all of college football. Um, there's Jeff Brom is not going to be calling plays on Saturday. It's going to be Brian Brom from what I understand. So, you know, you look at that and then on top of everything, they still don't have a quarterback. Um, a lot of people believe that it's going to be Nick Plummer, but there's really two other guys who are in the mix. You know, when Nick Plummer went down last season for him after Elijah Sindelar went, already went down, they brought in Aiden O'Connell, uh, who was a former walk-on and he kind of played pretty well, but stylistically, He's the same thing as Nick Plummer, just I would say a tad bit worse and tad bit um, less talented. But then they're also bringing in a UCLA grad transfer named Austin Burton, who is kind of – he brings more to the table from an athleticism perspective, um, a really fast runner, and a guy who on intermediate and short throws definitely has a lot of zip. So when you look at that aspect too, there's a lot of different pieces – um, it feels like a lot is happening for them. And you look at Iowa and you're, you're talking about all this optimism and you're talking, you're, you're talking about excitement and it just feels like this is a game that Iowa capitalizes on everything that's going on for Purdue. And, you know, Purdue might end up rebounding later on in the season and might have some splash plays in this game. But I feel like week one just isn't going to be Purdue's week when you look back in retrospective um, as sort of at this season for them. So I'm definitely going with Iowa. I think this could be a double-digit win. I hate doing that against teams like Purdue and teams like Iowa State and Minnesota, but it really just feels like Purdue has um, too much going on to sort of stay in the game with a, an offense that, you know, if everything goes as we're kind of expecting, you know, Iowa's offense is going to put up points. So that's sort of where my lean is in this game. And the other part, I mean, we didn't mention a single time, they, Iowa has an all-American kicker coming back. I mean, you have Keith Duncan, and, and yeah, that's nice from a lot of standpoints, but one thing is when you cross the 50, you know if we can just get a little bit more, it opens up your play calling because you have a guy you trust that can get points on the board. And that's a huge thing, especially early on in the season, to have – the trust of, okay, we can send this guy out. We can get our points. You know, you don't want to have to send him out all the time, but there are going to be times where you need to, whether it's an end of a quarter situation or end of a half situation and you're on a short clock and you just need to get into range, but a guy you trust um, with that. And that is really important for, for the offense, I feel like, and for a play caller to know that's there. And while Iowa is breaking in a new punter, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Reports have been good. It sounds like Tori Taylor, the freshman from Australia, who I don't believe has ever played an American football game, but it sounds like he won the job and the um, reports have been good. So I think he'll have, have an important role of just keep the ball away from Rondale Moore, which with his background uh, should be a specialty. Yeah, and I can't believe, you know, this is an Iowa football podcast and we wade to the very end to talk about Keith Duncan. <laughs> I mean, that guy, I feel like, is taking over Twitter. Um, he's definitely a personality, which is a lot of kickers are. But with him in particularly, you know, you know he, he's definitely a guy who could win, you know, Lou Groza. And he's a guy that, you know, you saw at the end of last year in Nebraska, he made, what was it, two 50-yard field goals back-to-back. I mean, that, that's, a, that's something in the bag that, you know, when you have an offense full of playmakers and you have a guy 
like Amir Smith-Marset as a kick returner, you expect like, you know, a kick return could end up at the 40. And then one play later um, to one of these guys down the field, like Brand Smith, Tyron Tracy, Tyler Goodson, Sam Laporta, you're already in field goal range. I mean, if I was offense stalls out, you know, a lot like in previous years, they, they've had a tendency to do so. Hopefully there's enough playmakers there to sort of um, balance that out with, you know, points on those end of the stalling out instead of just, you know, punting it away. Um, so that's definitely an aspect to pay attention to. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, we haven't heard anything, but last year, uh, or Shudak, Caleb Shudak did kickoffs and was really good. So, so haven't heard a lot from that standpoint, if it's going to be Duncan or Shudak, but that could be important. Hopefully Iowa's putting a bunch of points on the board, having to do a lot of kickoffs and you know, Moore's back there. So it'll be interesting. Does, uh, who does coach LeVar Woods put back there and, and what's the, what's the plan? Do you boot it deep? Do you kick it high? Do you squib it? So that's going to be something that I'm looking forward to seeing how that shakes out uh, this game as well. Oh, for sure. And you know, I, it's, it's an exciting time to be an Iowa football fan. Obviously I, we didn't even expect, um, a season, let alone be playing this week. So it kind of feels a little bit surreal in that respect. Um, with that said, I, I feel like this is a good place to wrap up the, the first podcast. We're going to go let uh, Thad be a dad. And, <laughs> and um, you know, I just realized that I, I did all this planning for it. I have zero outro. So <laughs> what we're going to do is just, um, I guess, talk our way out. Um, do you have any last parting words, Thad? Uh, just everyone go, go enjoy that football, Iowa football, at least is back this week. Um, hopefully we get all the games in, but it, it feels good to be talking Iowa football and knowing it's on the horizon. It's, it's right there. So I'm excited. Uh, I know you're excited and I hope everybody, you know, in earshots is excited as we are and I can't wait to get to watch the Hawks. Yep. Um, for sure. If you guys want to follow us, uh, we post our, our work or our content on blackheartgoldpants.com. And we also, you can follow me at Rob DFB and you can plug your handle as well. Ty, or, uh, Thad. At TNELS20. Uh, at halftime and uh, after the game, I'll have passing charts up and we'll be following along that uh, live during the game. And then uh, my rewatch will probably be up on Tuesday morning. There you go. And uh, honestly, you know, Thad's content is really great. Um, he does uh, some deep dive analysis on, you know, if you have a question about Iowa football, chances are that he's already done a, an article or about it or a film room on it. And his social media, his Twitter is definitely a fun, um, you know, thing to look at. He does the passing charts, like he said, but he also, you know, posts a lot of um, sort of interesting things to start discussions over for sure. Yeah, but with that said, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, and we'll be back next week, hopefully. Um, all things, you know, being great. And hopefully we're talking about an Iowa football win and we're looking forward to the next game. Look forward to talking to you next week. Awesome. See you guys.